0: Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated to helping sales development professionals get better at their jobs and push the practice of sales development forward. This is a place for practitioners in the trenches every day getting it done, whether they're called SDRs, BDRs, ADRs, or others. It's a team charged with creating pipeline out of inbound lead activities and outbound approaches. My name is David Delaney, and I'm the host of the Sales Development Podcast. If you've got subjects you'd like to hear covered on the show or guests you'd like to hear from, hit me up via email at david at 10 or LinkedIn or Twitter, or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you found us. Hello, 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 everyone. This is David Delaney with the Sales Development Podcast. I am so excited to talk to someone who I've been following for years, and I've been a big fan of her output. She's the founder of Strategic Pipeline and the best-selling co-author of Predictable Revenue, which is the Bible out here (laughs) and has been for a few years for sales development professionals. And She just came out recently with another book called Predictable Prospecting, which I'm excited to talk about. This is Mary Lou Tyler. Mary Lou, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, this is great. I mean, I was so excited that we could put this together. Uh, Like I said, I've been a huge fan for a number of years. And uh, just a quick backstory, when I was at Glassdoor a few years ago, we were just starting up the sales development program. And back then I I had two pieces of info, a file folder full of printed out blog posts and your book (laughs) with Aaron Ross. (laughs) And, And a few years later, they're still running the program and it's going great. So really appreciate all the work that you do for the community
1: oh it's my pleasure I, I you know I've been doing this myself for get going on 30 years now before the internet was quote-unquote invented and before we had cell phones, I was prospecting, so seen a lot of changes over that time.
0: Nice. I, I want to go into that that evolution, and that's a great segue because tell us a bit about your background. If people haven't read the book, if they're not following you yet, um, mm-hmm. you know, how did you how did you come to be a thought leader in this space?
1: Well, it all started back when I was involved with selling into large call centers, and at the time, I was involved in sales. The way we generated appointments and first meetings was by exclusively by the use of the telephone and direct mail. So, a lot of what I did was maximizing the return on effort in combining those two modalities and really got good on the phone. I ended up having a 250 seat call center where agents were just making calls and setting appointments, and we got paid every time an appointment was generated and kept. So, that's like the SQL sales qualified lead to the SAL sales accepted lead. So I got really good at that and loved it. And then fast forward was in the industry consulting for a number of years, I got a client a startup up in Seattle, who asked me to come in and do the internet thing for lead generation is how they described it. And I'm like, Hmm, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I tried to apply my telephony knowledge and the knowledge of direct mail, and we started working on the email systems. And then I had the opportunity to listen to a webinar that was put on by, I think it was the lead generation for the complex sales. So Brian, I think his name is, his guest was Aaron Ross. And so when I heard that webinar, it resonated with me. I thought, this guy is doing what I know how to do for the phone, but for the Internet and for email. So I chased Aaron down. And that was, I think, in 2006 or something. It was it was early on, mid-2000s. And we got to working together, and I you know, pushed and pushed to try to get the framework in so that it was really operating at the same level I was used to with the telephony side. And at the end of it all, we looked at each other and like, we should write, you know, get this book out for people because this is a great process. And uh, that's how Predictable Revenue was born. It was going to be called, I think, um, oh gosh, it was like a sales machine 2.0 or something was the, was one of the original names of the framework. But I'm so glad we called it predictable revenue, because that is exactly what it is
0: exactly yeah i mean that that name has stuck around and is now sort of almost legendary it, it's it's something that everyone's striving for the predictable revenue it's just, it makes you relax just thinking about it you know <laughs> so um that's yeah. amazing and and so you you worked with Aaron and and put out the book and then mm-hmm. you know tell us about what happened you know after the book was re- released and what you have been working well on I went since. back
1: to doing my consulting and because um, I had been doing that since the early 90s so I went back to my comfort zone which is working with higher end companies enterprise level kind of up market and I started getting the field and looking at putting in these systems and frameworks uh, using predictable as the baseline predictable revenue and I discovered we were having issue with some of the way that the framework was being implemented a lot of people in my world were doing the precursor to what they're calling now account-based selling so there was a lot more complexity in the networks i was working on there were a lot more touch points a lot more people showed up atop of funnel uh, it wasn't really following leads it was following accounts so i just really needed to take a good hard look at the framework. And the result of that five years of field study with multiple clients was the impetus to create the new book called Predictable Prospecting.
0: Yes, okay. Uh, great segue. I, I want to dive into the framework, and it sounds like what you learned over the five years of working with clients and seeing how predictable revenue was being, you know, implemented and now, mm-hmm. you know, that how that rolled into your new work on predictable prospecting.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was definitely, it, it fits in certain areas, and I, I still, there's three main concepts from predictable revenue that I still hold on to and and use as baseline metrics for any system I'm developing. And, you know, those are that all leads are not created equal. We learned that the hard way for predictable revenue. Uh, I look at separation of roles, although it's a little bit muddier now because of account-based selling, and we can talk about that later. And then also, I really kept the, the framework, the process, the usage of sales process overlaying that with continuous improvement and the lean methodology. So those three things I still hold on to and I I created a new framework with that as the baseline. And then I started implementing in these companies and we didn't have the luxury of adding a lot of stack like the smaller companies are stack rich. The larger companies you get maybe two or three of the apps and, and you know then you got to go through major discussion in order to get a new app installed so we had to work with tools that were probably not as robust and as as widespread as the startup community has Um, but even with that what that forced us to do and had us focus on is how the content that we're generating and putting in my our emails and the actual email itself how it's written uh, we spent a lot of time working on the persuasive copywriting aspect of, an, of a cold email, of a working queue email. And we also looked at personalization because we, we didn't have the ability to spray and pray in, in that market. So it really got us to focus on each stage and increase the interest stage metrics. And then from stage to stage, we really got good at figuring out how to reduce the lag. So that formula that you you all love on page 42 of predictable revenue was really the formula that I used in generating this new framework.
0: Okay, this is really interesting. Okay, so the three big takeaways from predictable revenue, all leads not created equal, specialization, and lean methodology – are mm-hmm. That Those ideas are carried over. So they're yes. they're, they're still very valid. And that, that's really interesting. So all leads are not created equal. Tell me about that. Because I did a stint in predictive analytics looking at lead databases and how to sort them out. Um, mm-hmm. But that was sort of the gold standard was how do we separate leads? And all leads are not created equal, for sure.
1: Right. And in the larger accounts, when I say larger account, I mean the accounts that... They're enterprise-based, you know, they're selling products and services that might be at a different price point than, say, you know, where a startup is now. We also had very robust marketing departments. Uh, there was a lot of cultural and corporate issue with marketing. Uh, so what, what I mean by all leads are not created equal is that an SDR or an ADR or a BDR may be handling multiple sources of leads as part of his outreach. It's not just a cold list and predictable revenue. You know, if you look at the five-stage framework, one of those stages is get a list. Well, that wasn't available always for us in the upmarket accounts because they had a house list. Or there were other sources of leads coming from executive briefings or trade shows. So we had more of a gravitational pull from multiple lead sources that the SDRs, you know, they were actually, there was an MBO in place, which meant that they had to follow up on certain leads. And that was not negotiable. So we really had to separate the minnows from the whales, <laughs> if you will. Yep. And we also had to look at, And figure out an internal scoring system that allowed us to say, look, the leads in this tier, they're great. I'm so happy we have them, but they're not meeting the criteria of high revenue potential, high likelihood to close. So we're going to put them in a in a nice sequence with email to help warm them up and bubble them up to the top, but we're going to ask them to do a little bit more work before we're going to talk to them. So that was a big difference from what we did with predictable revenue, which is we got the list, we're targeting who we want, and we're putting them through automation to get that referral. We just didn't have that capability or, or the ability to do that in, in a lot of the accounts that I was working on.
0: Yeah, no, I think, you know, if you look at the database as a whole, I mean, I think thing number one is we've got to sort it out into some kind of buckets, uh, based mm-hmm. on, you know, the the account size and the yeah. Uh, persona that we're talking about, and things like that. And and if folks on the call, if you, if you haven't thought about that yet, and you don't have that worked out, you can do it in-house with your own scoring system for accounts and names, or there's vendors out there that can help. And again, it's a process that where you have to purchase that, but you've got to have that sorted out first, um, I would think. Most definitely. Yeah. And
1: the other yeah. thing that you mentioned, that wasn't really talked about in Predictable Revenue, was this concept of the persona. And really, Predictable Prospecting expands on the persona to actually say, it's not even about marketing's personas or product marketing's personas. We need to create a sales-specific persona that we're gonna target. The reason being is when you think about a marketing persona, the call to action that marketing's trying to get for us is the marketing qualified lead, the MQL. But as a business developer, our call to action is the initial appointment, is the initial meeting, the follow-up meeting, the face-to-face, whatever it is. So by definition, the marketing personas are not giving us enough in order to be able to craft a compelling conversation to get to first meeting so predictable prospecting dedicates an entire chapter to persona development and there are entire books on the subject but we you know we've synthesized it down into a chapter and we reworked the predictable revenue icp into what we're calling an ideal account profile which is an iap
0: okay this is really interesting so there's sales specific personas Most definitely. Okay, that's really interesting. So because we're going after the appointment on the sales development side, we need to rethink the personas that they're giving us from marketing.
1: A hundred percent, because we also have to think positionally in the pipeline. If we're tasked with follow-up on leads, they're not all outbound. Then we, that person, may be entering in working status instead of cold status because they filled out a form or they were brought in through an executive briefing that a workshop or whatever. So, you know, the premise of predictable revenue was I got to find the right person. But in this case, we may have the right person. So they're not going to go to the cold queue, they're going to go to the working status. And it may be a completely different person that we're working with. So, yes, not only do we have different personas. They enter at different positions in the pipeline. So we have to be ready to have these conversations. The other thing we've added in predictable prospecting is not only do we need to know these personas, but we need to know the direct and indirect influencers of these personas because we've started sequencing and calling into the companies in a way that more images, mirror images, the predictable Uh, the predictive dialers of the call center. So we're calling in and around this bullseye of influencers with the sole purpose of trying to get our foot in the door.
0: Okay. That's really interesting. So do you, in your methodology, are you trying to reach the influencers first and then work out from that kind of inner circle or the old question, do you go high? Do you go low? Do you go sideways? Where's the best way to approach an account?
1: I think it depends on your level of comfort as an SDR. For me personally, Mary Lou, since I've been doing this for 30 years, I go directly to the bullseye, the main man, the main lady. I go right to the middle. (laughs) But if you're just starting out and you're starting to get your feet sort of you know, equilibrium set, (laughs) you may start in the outer ring and look at indirect influencers for warm referrals and then work your way in. But the bottom line is,
0: Is your sales development program firing on all cylinders? Are your people, processes, and technology aligned to get you the appointments, pipeline, and close one you need to be able to hit your goals? Finding experts in the field of sales development is a real struggle, but you have to hit your pipeline numbers today, not sometime in the future when you can step back and take a wider look at your program. TenBound is ready to help. Head over to tenbound.com for more information and to sign up for a free assessment of your current program that's 10bound.com
1: you want to talk to whoever is going to be that person who will either refer you into to a meeting refer you to the person you want or the person themselves so you got to be smart and strategic about how to work that bullseye based on the account that you've profiled as high probability of closing with high revenue potential it's really on an account by account basis Depending on whether you're, you know, if you're working dissimilar accounts, then you've got to kind of put your stake in the sand and say, look, I'm going to call the influencer, direct influencer ring. And then when I feel like I've got enough information, I'm going directly to the source. Or if you're like me, who's been doing this for a while, you know the issues, you're pretty darn sure what's challenging them, what the outcomes they're looking for, how your product is positioned for that. And you can immediately speak to them level to level, peer to peer, colleague to colleague, in order to convince them that the best thing for them is to let you in to talk about how you're going to transform their world.
0: Right. And so, you know, thing number one prioritization, prioritization of the accounts. And then based Mm -hmm. on your experience, prioritization of the personas. And then your comfort level, you know, based on your business acumen. You know, a lot of the people on the call have just been in the business world for a couple of years, you know, so it Mm -hmm. might take a while for them to get to that level. And then the second point that you've brought over from your original work was the specialization kind of segues into that. Um, Are are you still a believer in specialization of the sales development and the sales team? You know,
1: that's a really good question. And it's it's philosophical and it's cultural. There are some companies where you, you know, you can speak to your blue in the face and they're not going to let their folks not prospect. So what I do with those clients, I said, okay, fine, let's give them their top 20 core accounts, you know, and they're going to go ahead and prospect into those top 20. But let someone else handle second and third tier for them. Warm up the chill get them to a point, serve up the appointment, and then do a nice handoff a la Predictable Revenue. There's also, though, what I'm seeing is the separation of the SDR role, and this is based on account-based selling, is that we're now seeing an SDR that may take it into the pipeline to get the first appointment, or there may be an SDR that takes it all the way through qualification, like that's how Predictable Revenue is written, to get them all the way through to the SQL, Sales Qualified Lead, And then do the handoff Uh, but we're seeing that some people are stopping at the meeting they get the meeting the ae comes in and that's and then they're done so there's a little bit of a separation even in the sdr role as to you know sdrs who are just learning the ropes and then more seasoned sdrs who may even stay in the role forever i've had some clients who have been in the sdr role for 10 or more years but they take it a lot further into the pipeline
0: the candidate Profile doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's fresh out of college and looking for their first job and some of the best SDRs that I've worked with have been lifers they just love the job they love talking to people and they're really good at it and and um, you know that's that's what they love to do it so I would definitely say give anybody a chance if they can do the job and they they want to do it now what about uh, specialization? you know, going a little deeper on the SDR side. Do you think that a hybrid SDR is kind of the way to go? So they're handling inbounds and they're going outbound. Do you separate those?
1: Well, that really is a volume decision. And the predictable revenue formula, I think still holds in a lot of cases where if there are 400 inbound leads coming in on a month, then that does require one person to do the job. If you have less than that, um, then you've got to really focus on your day in the life because for outbound to work, the most important concept is block time. We've got to sit mm-hmm. down and we've got to make phone calls within a block and we're single tasking. That is mm-hmm. one area that I press on still to this day because it works and it's worked for years. It worked in the call center. It works here. You cannot make a phone call then do email, then check your text. No, you get on the phone, and you call your top 20, or whatever it is you have in your calling list, and you do not surface again until you're finished with that, and that is a habit that if you just do that, you will make your quota, you will go to President's Club, you will go to the Mediterranean with your wife, or your kids, or whoever, (laughs) and have a great time, because you have Allowed yourself to be systematic and habitual in making phone calls. Now, when you're set, when you're following up on inbound leads, like I do, this is my role. I'm a split. Um, I spend Tuesdays and Fridays with block time on outbound, and that's enough for me to generate the number of qualified ops that I need and want per month in order to to keep my revenue where I want it. So I think it's a matter of looking at inbound lead flow and also really being focused on your day in the life. And we have modified the day in the life a little bit in predictable prospecting, because we're seeing a lot of the blend of inbound, outbound, and other (laughs) leads coming in.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that that brings to mind. I love the blocking. I mean, you've got to singly focus. I think there's so a billion distractions um, that can come up. It's so easy to be entertained. And (laughs) take your eye off the ball, but major props for doing your own outbound and building your business every Tuesday and Friday. I I think that's something I need to work on too. So good for you to be on on the phone doing it. And it brings me... A question I had in mind is some of the new products that have come out over the last you know three to five years, like Sales Loft and Outreach and Persist that are built specifically for the SDR channel. Do you ever come across those in your work? And what are your thoughts on the way that they put those together?
1: I've come across two of the three, not Persist. And it may be because of where I sit with accounts. Hmm. Um, outreach.io I've come across and Sales Loft. In fact, there's a case study of Sales Loft in our book uh Mm -hmm. kyle porter who's the ceo is kind enough to share that with us that we can include that the importance of cadence and the importance of sequencing Uh, so we used him as the case study but i think what's great about those tools is that think of you know spinning plates a friend of mine used to say that you you start spinning a plate at the beginning and by the time you get to the end the first one is just you got to go back and spin it again that could be what your cues look like with follow-up on email, you get lost because remember we're doing eight to 10 touches now with the sequencing methodology, whereas predictable revenue, that seven to 9% response rate was based on emails one, two, and maybe eight, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the first and second email going out and then maybe nothing happened after that. But now we're doing a, a defined number of emails. We're doing conversion rate optimization on everything now And so there's a a lot going out. And still we have to do our 250 net new a week if we want to get eight to 10 opportunities a month. That's still the predictable revenue waterfall that I follow with all my clients as a baseline. So if you have 250 emails that are net new, and then you have to add in all the emails, two, three, four, eight, seven, whatever, you do need a tool. And both Outreach and Sales Loft appear to have that capability of doing that filing for you so that it it's on top of it for you.
0: It's just you look back and it's like the invention of the telephone or something. I mean, <laughs> it's like how the heck did we do this before with Salesforce tasks and spreadsheets and stuff like that? I mean, what they've done is absolutely amazing and and then, you know, the dark side of that is I I was sitting with a CEO yesterday and he showed me his inbox of emails that he've, he's gotten from an SDR at a company i won't embarrass the company by saying who it is but he showed me that he had gotten like you know 30 emails from this guy over the course of 45 days and um it, you know it's 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 like you got to be a little bit careful with the automation out there because if it's not customized and it's just one after another then it just becomes, you know, irritating it seems.
1: Oh, that for sure and that's why yeah. the newer frameworks, mine included, mm-hmm. really look at the persona and we we really focus on how does this person want to be sold to? <clears throat> and yeah. the other thing I teach my folks to to do is when you hit that send button, are you convinced that you're transforming your persona's world with the information provided in this email? If you're not, don't send it. And we set up the sequences that way as well.
0: So this is great because the third pillar that came through from your predictable revenue years was the lean methodology and the consistent mm-hmm. improvement. So how are you implementing that now with your clients, or how are you seeing that play out as you put in the new predictable prospecting models?
1: We first look at, you know, like picture the United States, right? The United States has states, there are cities within the states, there are neighborhoods within the cities, there are streets within the neighborhoods, and there's houses on the streets. That is the pipeline. So we tackle it in that fashion. We first look holistically at the entire pipeline, and we map out those metrics that allow movement forward or movement out because what we're looking to do is maximize the return on the effort and also to reduce the lag then we take each station which is like each state and we basically take each stage and look at intra stage metrics that once again allow us to do forward movement, but they're not allowing us to go from stage to stage because we haven't completed all that activity. What this all boils down to is that we are constantly improving not only the stage itself, but the movement from stage to stage so that we can constantly eke out just a little bit more improvement and reduce the lag in the pipeline. This also necessitated a way for me to put together conversion rate optimization for the emails and how we look at the emails. What's the statistically relevant sampling so we can say, you know what? It's time to change the subject line or you know what? It's time to change the first paragraph. So I put together a whole process for that for my clients.
0: Okay. That is really interesting. So you, you have to take a step back, get a wide view, look at the entire map of the United States. Right. right in your analogy. <laughs> and, um, and then you know that based on the funnel, there's metrics moving forward and there's metrics moving backwards and you are constantly refining those down and you've built a process out to help your clients with that.
1: And we use the rule of one for everything we do. So, for example, if we're doing an email, we change one thing. It's tempting to want to change the click through or change the te- mm-hmm. you know the body and change, oh, let's change the subject line. No, we do one thing at a time. This is from my direct mail background. Mm-hmm. One thing at a time. Everything is coded so we know which email was changed, what was changed within the email, and we're able to look at statistics and metrics for each email performance. Why is this important? Because if we discover email number three with this particular pain theme is allowing us to get meetings, we're going to want to bump that email up to maybe email number one slot because that means theoretically we can reduce the lag that's how scientific we get when we when we enter that optimization stage in order to reduce the lag in the pipeline and increase the velocity
0: okay that is really interesting something that you said everything is coded you know yeah. it, it, it's from engineering right it, it's 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 you, you can't manage it if you don't measure it
1: yeah and you know i'm a software engineer i was right. brought up through the engineering background so my natural inclination is if it's done more than once, you probably can program it. (laughs) And so I, yeah, that and direct mail, direct mail, we couldn't, we didn't have the luxury of just letting things fly. We had to measure everything right down to the penny. And that is how I approach my strategy for email engines. Same way.
0: Email engines, you know, you could take it to voicemails, you could take it to live yep. conversations. Some, some yes, extent. we do. Yeah. We do
1: scripting, hmm. the scripts are all coded, and the voicemails are all coded.
0: Okay, yes. that that is amazing. Okay, so applying engineering principles to sales and sales development, you hear mm-hmm. about it, you know, but I think, um, and it's actually another question that I had, say you're, you're an SDR manager or you're an SDR who wants to get into management, and you're looking at this and going, okay, there's a lot here. There's the architecture of building the program in the pipeline, and then there's the optimization. Now I have to become an engineer? Where do you start as, as a new leader or someone just trying to get their arms around the program?
1: Well, luckily, because you have a pipeline, it's like an assembly line. You have to look mm-hmm. at it that way. And along the assembly line, there are intelligence stations. So you graph out those intelligence stations— where they're at, and you start focusing. You know, rule of one focus on one first when you've kind of got that one going, so it's not gunky and you know, full of just yucky stuff. And you move on to the next one, and you just systematically do that. You can't possibly hit everything at once, but you can focus on one area and get it running to the point where you're like, okay, this is good, time to move on. We'll come back to you later. And that's how I do my entire framework. I mean, there are 28 steps in the framework that I've developed between predictable revenue and predictable prospecting. They're in a table of elements. They have rows and columns. Everything is in order. And we go through the order with clients. So it's not, you know, it looks daunting at first to see these 28 blocks. Oh, my gosh, Mary, what the heck is that? But then when we start working it, it makes perfect sense. And because one thing feeds on another, so everything on the row has to be done in order. Um, and then multiple rows, we can attack at the same time and still have a good outcome.
0: Okay, so don't get overwhelmed. Break it out. Make yep. a make a framework. And I love the rule of one. It's a, it's okay. Yes. We're not going to try to fix every problem that we have on the SDR team at the same time. We're going to just focus on this one thing, make sure that it's good and move on.
1: And the easiest thing, the easiest way to think about it for those who are out there is draw a matrix. So draw, you know, an X or a box or whatever. And you have four quadrants. The first quadrant is it's low level of impact and it's really hard to do. So what does that mean? Forget it. We're not going to do that one. If it's low level of impact, but really easy to do, then it's a medium. Okay, we may consider that. The best one is if it's an easy to do and it's a high level of impact. So just rate all the things you have to do in a quadrant and focus on, just like predictable revenue, we're focusing on high revenue, high likelihood of closing. Here, to make changes in optimization, we're looking at easy to do, high level of impact.
0: Nice. I love that, that matrix. I mean, you can use that in a lot of, different. you can use that in your life, right? For, <laughs> you can take that out of the sales world and put it in your own <laughs> life and go, okay, let's, let's really figure this out. So, and, and then you're not wasting time on things that have a low impact, right?
1: Exactly. Our mm. mantra for predictable prospecting is to maximize ROE return on effort. It's mm. all about us. It's all about reducing our stress And really being strategic in picking our battles. And the rule of one is one of those rules that says, focus on the highest degree of impact that you can make that is the easiest to do. And then just, you know, notch them off as you go. Same thing with learning how to get better on the phone, role playing, practice one objection once a week, or, you know, stand in front of a mirror, bring your friends to the bar and rehearse with them, whatever it is. But you're going to get better and better the more that you practice things. And it's the same thing with this. If You're constantly looking at it. You're going to see areas of sluggishness, of gunk. It's a pipeline. It gets full of gunk every once in a while. So you have to really kind of look at that, but only attack it one at a time.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay, good. So now you, you've got this book that sounds amazing. What are you working on right now? Are, are you still doing the consulting? I, I know you're doing your own prospecting, so... What's going on right now for you and and in the future?
1: Well, I'm doing consulting because I love my clients and they challenge the heck out of me. So (laughs) that keeps me fresh, keeps me true to my craft. So I I do that. I have the book now, but what I'm discovering is there's this gigantic, I don't know, crevasse (laughs) between people who have the book and my consulting. So I'm dabbling in training and, and online classes I have right now 60 brave souls who signed up for a class that I'm teaching once a week on predictable prospecting. So I may get that into some type of learning system, but I'm not quite sure how that's going to work yet. So I'm experimenting with these wonderful sales executives who signed up, and hopefully I'll be getting a class out that would at least go through the book in detail. And for those who want to do a deep dive, who are what I consider specialists or experts, you know, I'll have those modules for them, but then the newcomers and the apprentices and the, the people who are actually producing, um, the course will really be focused for them because predictable prospecting is for the sales executive, really. Okay,
0: and is this something, you're doing a virtual class where you're actually teaching, and or is it a, a like an online module where it's recorded
1: Uh, it's a live class through zoom because i have people all over the world that are attending and we're we've gone through module two right now i have six modules so i've broken it up into a success path for them we did the assessment together where i told you the united states thing we we looked at the state of the union then we worked on targeting and then we're going to work on the engagement which is the email cadences the voicemail scripting uh, the actual scripts for first meetings, things like that. Then we're gonna do an analyze class together where I show them how to set up the metrics for them, the real you know, the fab five that we used to call unpredictable revenue. I've added on to those a little bit, but not not too much. And then we work on an optimization sequence. And then from there, they have their own personal systemized model for prospecting.
0: And they can take it and run with it. And uh, yep. and, and so this is sort of your test class. And then you're thinking about maybe releasing this in the next iteration to more participants.
1: Yeah. And what hmm. I don't know is 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 a group. I, I, my gut is telling me there still has to be some kind of group like office hours or I'm I'm not right. exactly sure. Um so I'm kind of taking it easy to see what's going to work. That's why I'm doing I know mean, I'm available for these guys uh 3 hours a week right now. We're doing I do a class, a repeat class and then I have office hours so they're getting a lot of my time and I'm very grateful because they're students who really want to master prospecting. Um, read the book, and now they're like, okay, we're going to tell me the good, bad, and the ugly. So I'm learning from them how to teach, essentially.
0: Nice. Well, that is really interesting. And I'll put the link to your website and to your LinkedIn page on my blog after the podcast, so people can stay in touch with you. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really interested. I'd like to take that class. So hopefully, <laughs> um, you know, it comes out to the general public and uh, and we can take it. Um, Yeah,
1: what I may do is release some of the recordings and then shrink them down into bite sized chunks because right now they're 45 minutes long. Um, So, you know, even I don't like to hear my voice for that long. So I'm going to try to get them down to something manageable for everybody and then put them also on MP3 format so you can listen to it in your car. But, you know, those are the kinds of things I'm looking to do. I've been very grateful for the work that I've been able to do in this industry. I've been in it for a long time. It's my duty now to give back so that's I'm trying to find the best medium to do that in a way that will help you know our community the other thing that I love is when people reach out to me because I will I will get back to whoever reaches out to me and that's a promise and I always have done that
0: nice okay well again you will have your contact information available and we'll put up some show notes on this so people can get direct access to your material um, mm-hmm. Mary Lou, th- this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to go back and hard code my pipeline right now after <laughs> listening to this. And, uh... Yeah, the back of
1: the <laughs> napkin drawing—that's what I tell my class to do. Just like go draw it on a piece of paper. The bubbles are the stages, and and it was great what I got back. So I'm I'm just really excited. I think uh, everybody's been really great about the class, and and we're going through the book. So it's it's a way for me to teach the book and also to add. The stories around the why and the how to. So it, it's been a great experience for me as well.
0: Excellent, excellent. And now, in in a few years, you know, do, the lean methodology, you'll have another book. You know, that has to come out. <laughs> don't don't think about that right now, but uh, you no, know, it's no. Uh, it's it's in play <laughs> right now. So, well, thank you very much. Um, got a lot out of the call, and um, you, you just uh, enjoy the rest of your evening uh, Mary Lou thanks thanks again
1: okay thank you for your time